Welcome, everyone, to this edition of Popular Technology Radio. I'm Mike Etchart. Thank you so much for joining me, joining us today, and hopefully you're having a good day. We are going to talk about ISPs, Internet Service Providers. And, you know, we don't really think or talk about this kind of stuff that much anymore. It is so ubiquitous in the house, depending on your age. Back in the day, I seem to recall that my first ISP, my first internet service provider, was AOL. And I think I signed up around 1992 or so. Uh, and it was about $9. And if you, you know, to get back in the Wayback Machine, if you remember, back in those days, the internet connection was dial up. It was not always on. You dialed in on a modem and you connected to, in my case, AOL. And back in those days, I think the biggies were AOL and CompuServe and Earthlink companies that for the most part are not around anymore. Uh, but that's how you got your internet in those days. And, and, but even then it wasn't really the same thing as the internet we have today, but that's how you did it. And I remember the big thing technology wise at the time for me was I got a second phone line just dedicated to fax or dial up internet. And there we had it. But at those days, uh, around the mid-90s, then I was working at a company that had what they were called T1 lines. And so you had always on and very fast internet connection. And that was the gold standard. If you had that at your company, boy, you sure wanted that at your house. And it took a while for that to happen. And I know in my little community, I was amongst the first people to get DSL, which I got through my phone company. It was fantastic. But DSL was limited by how far you were to the central office. I want to say it's 2,500 yards or 2,000 yards. I can't even remember how far it is these days. But I was kind of at the end of the DSL circle from the central phone switching office where I live. But I was able to get it, and that changed everything. Having DSL in the house was just miraculous. It was fantastic. But of course, DSL is kind of old news now. A lot of people still have it, but it's, again, limited to its distance from the switching office. Many people, if not maybe most, have now cable service, and that is what I have here. And Southern California Spectrum is one of the largest companies uh, owned by Charter Communications. They are my internet service provider. I do not like them a lot, and I don't know that anybody does like their internet service provider very much. Prices continue to go up. Speeds, of course, are very fast, but like everybody, I watch television over the internet. Now, I have what they call an OTT service, over-the-top service, meaning my television content comes in by the internet portion of my cable connection, not by the cable itself, but by the cable company. So that is kind of how I get my TV. Uh, so we have, in my household, huge needs. And at any given time, there could be three different people watching different programming on the internet connection in my house. And I'm going to guess that is not atypical at all. That is most people's situation. So fast internet connection is super important. We are paying lots of money for it. And like cellular service with our mobile telephones, we have to have it. We have grown to a point where we cannot live without it. So that is where we are today, which is why we're going to talk about ISPs and where we are in the great US of A. It's a little different around the world. We pay, I think, more. We have slower speeds. We will talk about that and why that is the case. And what's on the horizon? Is there any good news when it comes to internet connections and speed? I'm not sure there is, but we're going to talk about that just in case because 
We need it. It is a digital economy now. We use the internet for everything, and we are being kind of held hostage because we don't have a lot of consumer choices. And that is just where we are. So that's what we're going to talk about today. ISPs, what is going on in the world of internet service providers? Is there anything on the horizon that maybe would give us some cause for optimism of what's coming down the road, technologically speaking, or anything like that? We will talk about all of that when we come back. We're going to have a good friend of mine, David Lazarus, come on the show, who is a writer for the Los Angeles Times. And we're talking about ISPs. You are listening to Pop Tech Radio. We're going to take a quick break and come right back. So stick with us. Cancer is the number one cause of death by disease for children in the U.S. today. Since the Austin Hatcher Foundation's birth in 2006, it has grown to provide unique programs to help the children and the families affected by pediatric cancer. Support begins at the time of diagnosis and continues throughout survivorship at no cost to families. Lives touched by the foundation continue to rise each day. But we need your help. Donate, volunteer, or partner with the Austin Hatcher Foundation. Learn how you can get involved. Visit HatcherFoundation.org for more information. And we are back. It is Pop Tech Radio. Mike Etchart. Well, I am talking about ISPs today, and I'm gonna really happy to bring on the consumer columnist for the Los Angeles Times. I'm a big fan of his writing. He is David Lazarus. David, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It is really nice to have you. I've been reading you for many, many years, and now to have you on the show is a real stoke for me. And when we talk about ISPs, and you write often about them, in my first segment, I was kind of uh, waxing poetic about the old days. Do you remember who your first ISP was? Oh, jeepers. I was living in Tokyo when the internet became a thing. So it was a Japanese ISP. I have no idea what it was. But then after moving back to the States, and I was working at Wired at the time, it wasn't AOL. I'm tempted to say it was CompuServe. Okay. My recollection is I was on AOL, and there was CompuServe, and Earthlink was big. Companies we'd never talk about anymore, but that was what it was. My recollection was that it was about 10 bucks a month or 15 bucks a month. Back oh, then. yeah, it was nothing. And then, you know, there was the music of the dial-up connection. And then just, you know, you, you can mention things to young people today, like, oh, and I would do a search on Lycos, and they would look at you like, what? And you say, you know, like Alta Vista. And they'd look at you like, what? And so, yeah, that, that's the Paleolithic era for a lot of us long-timers. Well, that's going back 25 years, at least, or roughly 25 years. So, so it, it's... Oh, don't say and, that. You're making me feel really old Well, now. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I won't say... I, no more talks of years like that. But And I remember what a big deal it was to have always on internet connection that was that was so exciting to have that uh, never mind the speeds but just that it was always there and here we are today who is your isp at home these days Oh, these days I have a cable broadband connection. The dominant cable provider in the Southland is Spectrum, owned by Charter Communications. And so I get my broadband and phone service through them, but I'm a cord cutter, so no video for me. Everything is a streaming service. You're leading into my next thing, which is, you know, you can't talk about internet connections and television separately, right? They are oftentimes the same company, but they influence one another, and the great thing about about cord cutting is that it exists, but the bad thing about cord cutting is you damn well better have a fast internet connection, right? Yeah, I mean, typically I, I tell people that you want at least 10 Mbps to get the full mileage. If you're a, a 
power user, or if you've got a gamer in the house like me, you might need a faster connection. Otherwise, you're going to hear your son going, I'm lagging, I'm lagging, and then even harsher words. Uh, but uh, yeah, you, you need a fast connection to handle all of the things that go on, and that's only going to become even more pronounced in days ahead because obviously we're going to have a greater and greater reliance on streaming services, and those streaming services are going to become increasingly robust. So a fast connection is everything, but that doesn't necessarily justify the prices that get charged. Aha. Now, in your situation, you you have Spectrum, as I do. We're both in Southern California, and that is the dominant one, I think, as far as I know, around here. Do you have other choices where you live, or is it pretty much Spectrum and that's it? Spectrum, and that's it. I believe I can get an AT&T connection, but that isn't uh, cable broadband. And to be honest, cable broadband is the fastest. So that is the Cadillac of Internet access that's out there. Yes, you can go for slower phone line-based services from Frontier or from AT&T, but you really want cable, which means that whatever the cable operator is in anyone's particular geography, they kind of have a monopoly when it comes to providing service, which allows them to dictate terms, which from a consumer's point of view really puts you at a disadvantage, especially in the changing landscape now, because as more and more people are cutting the cord, that means video subscribers are falling by the wayside, in fact, dropping by about 3 million last year, if I remember the figure correctly, for all of the major pay TV companies. And that means if you're a shareholder in these companies, you're looking at the companies and saying, hey, where's the revenue coming from now that we no longer get to gouge people with these bloated video packages? And the providers in turn are saying, oh, don't worry about that. We got you covered. But the answer is basically we're going to jack up broadband internet prices as much as we possibly can, not because those prices are justified, not because they are investing heavily in network infrastructure, which they claim as their cover story, but in reality because they are compensating for the fact that they no longer have the pay TV customers that they once used as their bread and butter. And here we are. I haven't looked at my Spectrum bill lately. I should, but it's got to be north of $60 these days, isn't it, for cable broadband, at least in Southern California? Oh, absolutely. And it's gone up exponentially. I cut the cord a few years ago, and at that time, my... Internet access, I want to say, was in the $30 range. It's now twice that. And it's going up even faster because the providers, and it's not just Spectrum, it's all of them. It's Comcast, it's Cox, it's all of them. They're basically saying, well, we're investing tons of money into our networks, and so someone has to pay for that. And while they do invest in the networks, a lot of that is, in fact, routine maintenance, which should be built into their business models. They're claiming that, oh, no, we're actually putting in turbo and and nitrous oxide and all sorts of things to make it faster. I'm exaggerating, obviously. And as a result of that, the prices are going up exponentially. I've heard some reports out there that these guys are looking at price points closer to $70 or $80 a month for broadband access, which comes closer to what they were charging for their pay TV packages. And as such, they're trying to make it basically one offset the other as more and more people cut the cord. Ugh. Well, we got to take a quick break. We're talking with David Lazarus. He is the consumer columnist for LA Times, and we are not bringing you good news. But we will try to inform you when we come back. It's Popular Technology Radio. 
Brembo has been stopping champions on the track as well as drivers like you and me on the street for over 50 years. Whether it's UV-coated brake discs, low-dust premium ceramic brake pads, or high-temperature brake fluid, BremboStoreUSA.com is the place to go to buy genuine Brembo OE-equivalent replacement brake components. Go to BremboStoreUSA.com to help you achieve that 60-0 braking performance you deserve and expect from Brembo. Brembo, the choice of champions and consumers for over 50 years. And we are back, PopTech Radio, with consumer columnists from the LA Times, David Lazarus. We are talking about ISPs, your internet connection, how much it's costing you, how much it's going to cost you, and other cheery news. David, when we enter the break, we were talking about the escalating prices, what it's going to look like maybe, let's say, in the next year or two or three. How did we get here? In the early days of broadband, it was pretty much a DSL landscape. And then the cable guys rushed on in. And DSL is just old news these days. Yeah, DSL was looked at as the promised land once upon a time because this was phone line-based technology, but super fast relative to what you were getting on your dial-up connection. Then the cable guys realized, oh gosh, we have a pipe into the house, and it's a big, fat fire hose of a pipe, and suddenly cable broadband became a going concern. And as broadband technology developed and really became one of the backbones of the economy, it became clearer and clearer that speed and reliability were everything, and the cable industry knew that DSL simply couldn't compete. So the cable companies were in a unique position, but then things become really interesting because for years now I've been advocating in my column for a la carte programming for the pay TV crowd which means you pay for the channels that you want to watch because according to Nielsen the average cable subscriber only watches 17 channels on a regular basis so when you think about the typical cable package that might have hundreds of channels you are being forced to buy products that you neither want nor need which is pretty much the equivalent of subscribing to Rolling Stone magazine and having to also get Sunset, Good Housekeeping, and Bon Appetit. So a la carte would have addressed that, and just right down the line, the cable industry would tell me to go pound sand, that this is never going to happen, it's going to ruin life as we know it, it'll cause millions of channels to collapse, and culture will fall by the wayside, and don't even think about it. But guess what? Then cord cutting came around, which these guys didn't anticipate, and suddenly they saw the writing on the wall, and the writing was, gosh, our fat cable packages are no longer a feasible business proposition. And so then they started transitioning what are called skinny bundles, which means a bundle of channels that are more manageable. Let's say Sling TV's package of 20 or 30 channels or whatever they're offering, and now people have better choices. Now, granted, you are not getting the diversity of programming that you might have otherwise had, and that is something to talk about because, you know, you are giving something up there, but you're now paying for something closer to what you actually want. But skinny bundles and then 
a la carte, such as subscribing only to HBO, for example, means that you're going to have to pick and choose because these channels can get expensive. But what that means for the cable companies that are providing these streaming services and the Internet access is that now they're going to have a lot more content with a lot of bandwidth, especially in the age of high definition, and they're going to charge you for every last pixel that comes across their pipes and that means that you need as a streamer to pick carefully because you can't afford all of them obviously and moreover you don't have the bandwidth to handle all of them so the entire landscape has changed the pay tv companies are now in the business primarily of providing access in other words internet service plus the limited streaming and the skinny bundles and the consumer in turn has to be a lot more choosy i mean am i going to get both netflix and hulu or just netflix or forego netflix and stick with amazon prime or what and that's the new landscape we're living in well and it's file that under be careful what you wish for because i would read your column and i would cheer that column on when you were uh, arguing for a la carte programming it's more or less here and yet my bill is not going down. We're a Netflix household. I assume you probably are as well. But suddenly we're going to have the other choice of Disney Plus. Uh, AT&T slash Warner Brothers has something else coming out. Apple has something coming out. We all have to now make these decisions on what is your pain point for all of this content that is available, right? Absolutely. And surveys show that the typical household that's cut the cord has three streaming services. And as you mentioned, Disney Plus is going to be coming this fall. That's a big deal. That's a game changer because they've got content that nobody else has that everybody wants. They've got Disney. They've got Marvel. They've got Pixar. They've got Star Wars. I mean, these are the crown jewels out there, especially if you've got kids at home. So a lot of families are going to say, whatever else I have, I'm going to want Disney Plus as well. And if you're going to suddenly become a four-service family as opposed to a three-service family, it does start eating into your entertainment budget. And I think a lot of people will be making choices as to how much they can afford. And the price points are relatively high. I mean, HBO, roughly 15 bucks a month, and HBO is the gold standard for premium channels. And everybody else tries to slot themselves in underneath. Disney Plus is going to come in at an attractive price point. I don't remember the exact number, but I want to say it was like eight or nine bucks a month. Very, very attractive. That, if anything, is going to scare the bejeepers out of Netflix, which is raising its price because they're relying more and more on original content to try to keep people in the family. But someone has to pay for that original content. Netflix is deep in debt. They keep borrowing more and more money to advance their market share, kind of playing out the Amazon business model there. And they're going to have to keep raising their prices as a result. So any Anybody with deep pockets, like Disney, who can come in below their price point, they're suddenly going to be a major threat to the Netflix model. Yes, they are. And if I'm a Netflix shareholder, I am getting nervous. And I'm sure lots of people in that corporate office are starting to freak out. We've got David Lazarus with us. He, of course, is the consumer columnist for the LA Times. And we've got more with him and us when we come back.
It's Dodge Performance Days, where that new car smell gets replaced by the scent of burned rubber. With Dodge Charger and its available best-in-class 485 horsepower, Dodge Challenger Hellcat Red Eye, with up to 797 horsepower and 707 pound-feet of torque, and the powerful seven-passenger Dodge Durango. Hurry in for great deals now at Dodge Performance Days. Ward's large regular car vehicle segment. Dodge is a registered trademark of FCA US LLC. And we are back. Mike Etchart here with Pop Tech Radio and consumer columnist for the Los Angeles Times, David Lazarus, is joining us. We are talking about what is your pain point, according to sort of consumer studies, that once you get above three subscription services, that's when you start to get a little hot under the collar? That's what we know now. Studies say that the typical cord cutter has three streaming services. So let's say Netflix plus Hulu plus Amazon Prime, for example. But as more and more start rushing into the marketplace, I think that's going to start redefining how people are approaching this. And you're going to see greater stratification as a result. So, for example, if you're an old movie buff and somehow either Turner Classic Movies was able to break off or I believe the Criterion Collection is going to come out on its own streaming service at some point soon. They had fallen away and then they got brought back and that's a big deal if you really dig old movies. I think you're suddenly going to start seeing people narrow casting their streaming services based on tighter interests. So right now you can get Netflix and Netflix is all things to all people. But as the price goes up, you're going to start weighing whether you're starting as was the case with pay TV's fat packages of channels you never watch. I mean, high Hallmark channel, high golf channel. (laughs) People are going to start looking at Netflix and saying, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff there, but there's also a lot of stuff that I don't want that they want me to pay for. And that's going to start redefining the marketplace, and then you're going to start seeing more and more companies, CBS, for example, Warner Brothers, all the big studios that have big vaults full of content are going to want their own streaming services where they can specialize in their own content and try and draw people in that way. They'll probably stop licensing their shows to Netflix, to Hulu, and try and keep everything in the family, and then you're going to have to start kind of picking and choosing even more, and And that's going to be tricky, and I think there's going to be a shakeout because there will be a lot of people saying, I can't afford all of them. And gradually what we'll end up with is a handful of big streamers left standing, just as once upon a time we had three big networks, and that was your television viewing experience. Four cord cutters who will increasingly define the television and movie viewing online experience will get back into something like that, where it will be three big streaming companies, and we will each have one of those. I don't think all those little guys are going to be able to stand on their own, at least, let's say, five years from now. And I'm finding myself, especially now that Game of Thrones is over, jumping in and out of different things far more than I used to and kind of continually re-examining, okay, what are we watching right now? What are the important shows? And I'm assuming that that is kind of common these days, that people now are really jumping around, A, because they can, and B, you can only have so many. Yeah, and I did the same thing. I resubscribed to HBO exclusively for Game of Thrones, and once Game of Thrones went adios, I 
canceled my subscription again because even though HBO has great content, that's $15. And for somebody who can only watch pretty much on weekends like myself, it's just too much when I compare that with the other streaming services that I have. So there is going to be the jumping around. But at the same time, these guys are going to try and figure out our behavior and then work around it and manipulate us. And I was wrote the other day about prorated services. And what that means is basically when a service is prorated, if you cancel and you've paid for, let's say, a month up front, you'll get the money back for whatever you didn't use. That's a prorated service. Increasingly, the telecom industry is transitioning to not prorating anymore. Thus, if you pay at the beginning of the month for a month's worth of service and then you cancel mid-month, they'll just keep the money. They're not going to give it back to you. And that makes bouncing around a little less attractive. And I think if these guys are backed into a corner, what they might start doing is rather than letting you buy it on a month-to-month basis, let's say they sell it to you on a quarterly basis. They're going to try and find ways to lock in more of your money keep you monogamous and prevent you from jumping ship in the same way that the cellular services for quite some time would lock you into contracts that prevented you from changing to a different lower price service. And they wonder why we hate them. You just wrote this article in Policy Switch, Spectrum and AT&T say if you cancel early, they're keeping your cash. It's so depressing. And One of the things that comes to mind, especially since we were talking about ISPs earlier, are all of these things happening around the world, or is this kind of U.S.-centric? And in other countries, I'm assuming the governments there have a little more influence on making these things a little more consumer-friendly. Is that an incorrect assumption? No, that's indeed the case, but there are some mitigating circumstances here. So while other governments, especially in the developed world, have a more active hand in broadband development and in broadband pricing, they also frequently have just easier terrain to lay down these networks in. So, for instance, the most wired countries, like, say, South Korea or Singapore, well, those are relatively easy countries to wire because they're relatively small, they're homogeneous, and you've got large urban landscapes that can support the infrastructure. Then you look at the U.S., which is far more diverse, has a lot more geography, and also has a lot more rural terrain that is much more expensive to lay down these networks in. So you can see that these are impediments to laying down the same broadband technology that the faster countries have, which is one reason broadband speeds in our country on an aggregate basis are much slower than in much of the rest of the developed world. And that's why it seems to me that if the United States wanted to be more serious about what is clearly increasingly going to be a backbone of our digital and wired economy, especially when you look at e-commerce, when you look at healthcare, when you look at education. These are all areas where broadband access isn't just preferred, it's necessary. And that seems to dictate a stronger regulatory hand, but that's not something that either the Federal Communications Commission or lawmakers in Congress have shown any interest in whatsoever other than putting out a lot of palaver about, yeah, broadband's really important to us. And I think if we actually saw the same sort of subsidies for the broadband industry, especially in rural areas that we see for farmers, we'd probably see our economy transitioning more quickly from a 20th century economy to a 21st century economy. 
I am not holding out hope. Uh, that is so sad. <laughs> Speaking with David Lazarus, he's a consumer columnist for the Los Angeles Times. We are talking about ISPs. We are talking about content because you cannot talk about the one without talking about the other. On that note, we got to take a quick break. When we come back, we've got more with David Lazarus and Pop Tech Radio. Have you ever tried to plan a vacation and the hotel costs, airfare, and pet sitter all add up to one big never mind? Well, it's time to embrace the adventure and go RVing instead. GoRVing.com is your one-stop shop for all things RV camping. Browse the different types of RVs, find a rental agent or dealer near you, and compare the costs. Explore more than 16,000 RV parks and campgrounds nationwide, and even plan your menus for the trip. Find out what you've been missing at GoRVing.com. That's GoRVing.com. And welcome back, everyone. Pop Tech Radio, Mike Etchard here. And David Lazarus, the consumer columnist for the Los Angeles Times, is joining us. You can read him at latimes.com, and he also has a wonderful weekly newsletter that's caincinc.com, talking about all the things they are covering in the business section of the Los Angeles Times, my hometown newspaper. So, David, we mentioned briefly what's going on in the rest of the world with this. We didn't talk about cost. As costs increase here are we kind of at the top of the list worldwide in terms of what we pay for what you mentioned is a little bit slower internet access? Yeah, and actually a lot of bit slower. The faster countries are exponentially faster than us. And yes, we do pay more because our broadband market is, like our healthcare market, alarmingly unregulated. And basically the service providers charge whatever the market will bear and because we have precious little competition for the highest speeds. In other words, a cable company seldom has another cable company in its territory that it's competing with. And that's deliberate. These guys carve up the territory and then go out of their way not to compete with each other to keep prices across the board high. So that puts us at a, at a big disadvantage when it comes to not just broadband development, but also the pricing. And that just basically speaks to the fact that we've got a near monopoly market when it comes to broadband and these guys you know call their own shot and i'm not saying that we want to actually have the government aggressively overseeing this because you don't want to stifle innovation you do want these companies to be out there you know pushing the envelope a little bit but at the same time it seems as with healthcare that you do want a referee on the field and that would make a big difference i think from a consumer's point of view I'm looking for that referee, and I'm not seeing it. How much does this fluctuate with whichever party is controlling it? Is it political even these days, or is this even risen to the level of politics, the need for faster and more reasonably priced Internet connections? The problem is, is while everybody, Republican, Democrat, whoever, says broadband is essential to the U.S. and to the U.S.'s economic prospects, None of them want to pick a fight with the big telecom companies, AT&T, Verizon, Comcast, those guys, because they're just too politically powerful. They throw their muscle around. They have very, very aggressive lobbyists in Washington making sure that they get their way. And that's not a fight that anybody wants to have. And that's one reason that we keep seeing things that so obviously would be in consumers' interest not happening. And here's a good example. The FCC has been banging its drum lately about robocalls. 
Nobody likes robocalls. There isn't a single person out there who's going to say, robocalls, those are great. And yet at the same time, the FCC keeps saying it's largely the honor system that they want the telecom companies out there to basically take the initiative in doing something to limit robocalls, but the FCC says, but we're not going to require it. Now, we know what can be done to limit robocalls. It's a system called shake and stir. Yes, the James Bond reference is deliberate. And what this would do is basically cut off robocalls at the source. So the network provider would be able to see where the robocalls are originating. And rather than filters that we have now, such as Nomo Robo, which waits till the call gets all the way to the recipient before trying to stop it, and that basically turns into whack-a-mole, this would just stop them at the source, and that kills the robocall industry. However, it's expensive, and that's why the telecom industry has been resisting this sort of thing. And that's a good example, I think, of the same thing we're seeing on the Internet service front, on the broadband front, is that we know what is needed. We know we need lower prices. We know we need more competition. We know we need more incentives to get other providers into marketplaces that can keep the big providers honest, but they're going to do everything they can to keep the status quo in place, and I'm not hopeful that we'll see any changes anytime soon, which suggests to me that unless we have at least a little more parental supervision, not, you know, runaway regulation, but a little more oversight from teacher, then I think we're going to keep seeing what we're seeing now until we reach some sort of breaking point, such as $100 a month for Internet service, and then finally lawmakers might step up. And is there anything on the technology front that gives you a slight bit of optimism. I seem to recall, it might have been even 15 years ago, there were people kind of experimenting with running internet down power lines. I mean, is there anything kind of on the horizon you've heard about that might give us a slight bit of optimism as to at least internet connection in the house? Yeah, I remember the power line thing too. I wrote about it. That didn't go yeah. anywhere. It yeah, did not go I anywhere. am hopeful about something. 5G. 5G is the, the next iteration of wireless technology. It is indisputably way faster than what we have now. It's also based on a different infrastructure than what we have now. For instance, right now with cellular technology, you've got cellular towers spaced relatively far apart. With 5G, the the, the towers, the the boxes are close which allows for a faster network. And there has been a lot of talk that the 5G technology is actually going to be so fast and so stable that you could, in fact, use it for streaming video along with data and voice, which is what we normally associate with wireless. And if that's indeed the case, suddenly the 5G providers out there, which is, in other words, the wireless industry, become competitive with the cable industry. And that is potentially a game changer because the cable actually has to compete with uh, an entity that is just as well-moneyed, just as well-resourced, and with cutting-edge technology, cable suddenly has to actually behave like a competitor. In other words, a better product at a lower price. Now, that's potentially the way it could play out. However, the cynic in me says that the wireless company is going to look at the, the gravy train that the cable industry enjoys and simply price 5G at a commensurate level so as not to give money away or leave money on the table. 
Uh, exactly. That's what I was thinking. Well, I think you've mentioned it in some of your articles. You know, the most loathed companies in the United States are your wireless networks and your cable providers slash ISPs. And on that note, can we thank you so much for joining us, David? It's been a pleasure to have you on the show. It was my pleasure, Mike. Thank you. All right. We will check in with him again. Have a wonderful day, David. Thanks so much. And folks, thanks for listening. And we are going to take a quick commercial break. You are listening to PopTech Radio. Weird, boxy, funky, fun, iconic. You can call the Kia Soul a lot of things, but you can never call it boring. And now, with a wide variety of newly adapted trims, it's time to expand your vocabulary. The adventure-hungry Urban Explorer Soul X-Line, the stylish, tech-savvy Soul EX, and the relentlessly athletic, turbocharged Soul GT-Line Turbo. The new species of Soul, the 2020 Soul. Give it everything. We're back, Mike Etchard, with PopTech Radio, and I'm bringing in my producer, Cody Castleberry. Cody, we've been talking about ISPs. Now, you and I, I'm in Southern California. You are in Southern Oregon. Who is providing you with your broadband service up there in Southern Oregon? At my house, we have Charter Spectrum. Uh, okay, the same one we have in Southern California. Yeah, I think they've got the whole West Coast, and I think somewhere else in the United States, they also have a big foothold. Yeah, Charter apparently is... Of course, Spectrum is under charter. They serve 26 million customers in 41 states. They are the second largest cable operator in the U.S. by subscribers, just behind Comcast, and third largest pay TV operator behind Comcast and AT&T. So we on the West Coast clearly have lots of them. By the way, the big, the biggies, the largest Internet providers in the U.S., uh, a company called Altis US, USA, who I've never even heard of, uh, AT&T Internet Services, Cable One, CenturyLink, Charter Communications, as we mentioned, Comcast, uh, Consolidated Communications, which uh, is, includes Fairpoint Communications and SureWest, Cox Communications, Frontier Communications, Mediacom, TDS Telecom, Windstream, which includes Earthlink. I mentioned Earthlink early in the show. Uh, Verizon High Speed Internet and Stealth Communications. Those are the big guys. Those are all counted among as the big guys. That's- yeah, those are the largest internet providers in the U.S. But uh, you know, I, I'm going to guess that if you wanted to break it down to a handful, you're looking at Charter, you're looking at Comcast, and you're looking at AT and T. Those those are the big guys. I know that uh, one of the at least one of the companies you, you mentioned there, CenturyLink, is a DSL provider. I wonder how many of those company, other companies that were mentioned are also DSL providers. Don't know, they, yeah. And they kind of make it on that list based on, you know, absence of a uh, cable network in, you know, in those market areas. And that's how they get on that list. Possibly. You know, and as David mentioned, you know, we are a very big country. And so a lot of these are kind of legacy services from companies that have been in the region for years and years and years and years and years. So I kind of assume, though, that most suburban and urban people have a choice between a DSL provider and and a cable provider for their internet service. But maybe, maybe not. And that would be something to cover perhaps on a future show. It's interesting. So, But the other thing I want to talk about, and we mentioned this when we were talking to David, is you know people now jumping in and out of their various content services. And c- currently I have 
so when I look at my my offerings in my house, I of course have a Spectrum cable connection for internet access. We pay for Netflix, we pay for Hulu, we pay for HBO, but that has an asterisk by it now that Game of Thrones is over. I may jump out of that, and I'm using a a a, a skinny bundle, a limited TV package from Spectrum, ironically called Spectrum Choice, where I choose. I think it gives you all of the local channels, and then I choose ten of the cable channels that I watch. Um, so what are you using? And, but I'm thinking of jumping out of AT and excuse me, uh, jumping out of, of HBO because I'm not really invested in any other shows. Are you in the same boat now that, that Game of Thrones is over? And what is in your household? Yeah, we've already I've already cut uh, HBO out. Got nothing else to watch on HBO. I also you know wasn't a fan of the way they ended it. Um, that's another story. We have Netflix that I I actually don't pay for it because our family lives next door and we kind of just trade off paying for mm-hmm. it and having four screens to use amongst us. They hate um, that. And I get Hulu for free through Sprint. Um, oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, you guys a Sprint customer for your mobile phone. Um, yeah, uh, we're starting to see some of that happen now with, with, uh, Apple music. I know I can't remember which service provider gives Apple music for free. Maybe T-Mobile, maybe I can't remember now, but anyway, somebody is giving that away. So you're seeing kind of content given away in some cases. Uh, but of course now some con- like in the case of AT&T, who is my mobile provider, they also own Warner brothers and Warner media now, so they can give stuff away like that. But you're seeing content being given away when it comes to that. So it is a strange and new world with all of the different content options often owned by cable companies. Now they used to be kind of what we just referred to as the dumb pipes, but now they like in the case of AT&T owning Warner brothers and, and other kind of content deals ownership wise, there's a lot of that happening and it is a wacky new world. And what are you paying for your internet service up there? Do you know? Uh, fifty dollars actually. That's not too bad. Like Ten dollars less than you you're paying, I think. Yeah, I'm north of sixty, so it ain't gonna change. On that note, we do need to wrap it up. So I want to thank everyone for joining us today, and thanks, of course, to our wonderful Radio America partner. They uh, syndicate us out to all the great terrestrial stations that carry us, and we are podcasts wherever you get your podcasts including Apple iTunes and many other places. So thanks again for listening. Have a wonderful week. We will see you next time on PopTech Radio. It's your turn to join the conversation. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at PopTech Radio. The big news from Subaru is the three-row Ascent. It's the biggest SUV from Subaru ever. There's room for seven or eight passengers with a choice of second-row captain's chairs or bench seating. It'll tow up to 5,000 pounds. It has interior space you need for your whole crew. And it gets you where you want to go with the safety of a Subaru, including standard symmetrical all-wheel drive. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Love is now bigger than ever. Maximum towing capacity varies by trim level, and trailer brakes may be required. See your retailer for details.